No, I think you make an incredibly important point there as spouses. I've never met a spouse or partner that wasn't willing to walk to the end of the earth if it meant that it was going to fix their problems. Mm -hmm. The issue is, is that these aren't necessarily your problems and you didn't cause these problems. Right. These are symptoms of abuse. Mm -hmm. These are symptoms of trauma. Mm -hmm. This is what happens when you're in a relationship with an a-hole like me for years and years and years and years. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Till the Wheels Fall Off. I am Matt. I'm Paige. <laughs> you scare you? scared me. Okay, let's get a couple of reminders out of the way before we get to today's amazing episode. First things first, it's chilly outside and we have sweatshirts for sale on our website, twofo.com. Check out the shop. There are three different designs of sweatshirts, super comfortable, super warm. They're awesome. Great for lounging around the house. Uh, running errands, things like that. These are not designed to be like, I don't know, fashion items necessarily. I these don't are, know. They might be. These are comfort items. These are greatness. I like, wear mine out <laughs> <laughs> with leggings That's a, and fun sneakers. I wear mine around the house. They make my hair all cute. They're, they're awesome. But anyway, ton of stickers up there as well. Uh, reminder, our course is up and running. It is changing lives and it is available for a limited time. For 75% off when you use the code wheelies75 at checkout. Mm -hmm. Our course is designed to validate, educate, empower, and walk you on your recovery journey. Yes. We've said this from the very beginning. Spouses and partners have very few resources available to them. Mm -hmm. Very few. Mm -hmm. Actual ironed out processes. This is research back research backed from a professional therapist yes has a lived experience of two people that have worked through this and worked others through it as well it is the real deal and we are offering it for a limited time 75 percent off with the code wheelies 75 yes. it's life-changing reviews that are coming back are amazing we'll uh -huh. have some of those posted up soon we've also taken out the self-care portion of the course and created a mini course that's also available on our website all these courses can be found on our website twofo.com or independentlystrong.com. Yes. Uh, the self-care portion is available for a limited time through Valentine's Day for $50. It is just the self-care module, that single portion. Mm -hmm. You might hear some other things referenced to the larger course. Yes. But this is just the self-care version or self-care portion of the right. course. And we also have some companions on independentlystrong.com. Oh, that's right. Our guides that, are up that's, there. It's, it's more on the narcissistic side. So we don't talk about that very often about yeah. the narcissistic side, but yes. there's a lot that go hand in hand with addiction, alcoholism, and narcissism. Yeah, we've got some helpful guides up there as well. Yeah, so check those out. Yeah, they're they're greatness. They're greatness. Are those guides available on our website or just independently strong? They're just independently strong. Independentlystrong.com. Check yep. out the guides. They're available over there. Yep. Okay. I think that's <gasps> all the housekeeping items that we have for today. You sure? No, what? Is there something else? No, we're good. What are we talking about? This is going to be a an awesome episode where we're going to clear up some things. A lot of misunderstandings about how spouses and partners arrive at this point. Yeah, how I lost myself in your addiction. How you lost yourself. Yes, and it's not because of my codependency issues or my controlling issues or the fact that I had high standards or that I had a lot of character defects. Or like, that you challenged me to be a better man. Or that man. I challenged you to be, you know, somebody that I wanted to be with. You know, like there, it, it wasn't all because of that. It's way deeper than this. And our course is actually based on this. So we're going to give you all a taste of what the course is about and how you may be feeling very similar to how I felt many years ago. Yeah. 
it's going to be good stuff. So. And why I felt that way. <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything right away, but yeah, we've got some hot opinions about how someone comes to find themselves in this situation. Yeah. Feeling lost, hopeless. And how did we get here? Like we've said it before, the context matters. Yes. And it's not as simple as just looking at your codependency and saying, oh, this is how it all happened. Right. Or just like, I just need to keep my side of the street and everything will be okay. I need to be real that in these relationships within addiction, alcoholism, everything, both parties have to be working on personal development and growth in order for things to work out. Yep. If we are just looking at our side of the street, it's not going to be as beneficial as if both of you were working something. Yeah. Let me like, spoiler alert, there is no way to support someone that's not working a recovery program of some kind, mm-hmm. whether that they're, if that's their own program with a therapist uh, through like a traditional 12 step or smart recovery or life ring or any of the other programs that exist out there. If you're questioning, how do I support someone that doesn't want to be supported? I think you have your answer. Yeah. You don't, that's self-sacrifice and you're going to end up yes. in a deeper hole than you started in. Right. So that's like that, that we get that question every single day. Right. How do I support him? How do I support him? How do I support him? Well, let me ask you this. Is he asking for support? Is he working on anything that requires support? Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. If you're trying to get someone's attention and you're trying to get out of pain, listen up. Yeah. We can help you with that. Yeah. Yeah. So a, a lot of people think that addiction just affects the person that's using, right? And like nobody else should be affected by it. But the reality is, is that their behaviors and the way that they treat people do affect you. It is going to affect your self-esteem. It is going to affect your values and your identity and who you truly are in your core. Um, that was our experience. It wasn't that I just had like a super low self-esteem. It was the fact that I was being abused in certain ways, you know, by certain behaviors that really took its toll on me. Yeah, it's no different than the concept of childhood trauma. If you've been through it and you've survived it, um, you don't know it's taking place at the time. It's years later that you're able to look back and understand that those are some of those things molded you to the adult that you are. Mm -hmm. Some of those things took place. It's Mm -hmm. not like you had a part in being a four-year-old that was physically or sexually abused. Right. You you didn't have anything that caused that, but you were living with the with, with it, you're living with the, the trauma, you're living with the fallout of it years and years later. Yeah. So it's not as simple to say is that the reason I am the way I am, I just need to focus on my codependency and everything's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. And that's not exactly the full story of how we arrived here. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's really tough for addicts and alcoholics a lot of the time and for people around them to hold them accountable for our actions. Mm-hmm. A lot of us don't want to look in the mirror and face the fact that we have really, really damaged people. Yeah. We've caused a ton of pain in them that will, and they'll never be the same because of it. Mm-hmm. We want to just say, okay, well, I'm, I, I stopped drinking. Um, it's things are good now. Let's forget about it. Let's move forward. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of couples say that and do that, but I'm telling you that emotions buried alive, never die. Right. That's is, coming back one day. Right. Which is what happened in our situation. We tried it too. Yeah. We, we tried that. It we didn't did. work. It didn't work. It doesn't Came work. No. It doesn't work. No. It doesn't work. So how do you lose yourself? It's not just you. Right. So we're going to kind of go back in time. This is going to be a two-part episode. So this is going to explain what happens in these relationships and why it affects your self-esteem. And then our next episode is going to go a little bit further ahead and help you understand what to do and how I got 
through it and how I found myself again. Because a lot of the times in our episodes, we go back really far, yeah. right? Like we have to go back in time, you know, over 10 years ago to when things were really, really hard. And I want people to understand that like, I'm no longer a victim. I have, I'm thriving. I've learned from all of my situations. I figured things out and I worked really hard to, to, you know, change who I am now and build up my self-esteem. So I just want to throw that out there. I have a question for you. Sure. Could you have done all those things if I was still drinking and using? No. That's an important distinction. No. I think that I would have been, I, I, I've talked about this before and it's, it's, it's hard to talk about sometimes too, is that I believe that if you were to still use or still be who you were, either I would be dead because of my mental health or you would be dead or you would be in jail or I would be gone. You know, I I don't think that I would be able to get to this point if I was still being emotionally abused. Yeah. Yeah. You, you make real strides in your recovery when you separate yourself from the substance or from the situation that's causing the trauma and Mm -hmm. the pain, Mm -hmm. no different than with an alcoholic or an addict. I can sit here and I, I, I know these people. I've known many of them in my life who have been through 12, 15 treatment centers. Mm-hmm. They know everything there is to know about recovery or what, you know, like the big book or any other program will tell them about it, but they're not practicing any of this stuff to actually remove the substance. Nothing changes in their life. Mm-hmm. Having a head full of that knowledge does nothing without the action right. of removing either the substance or removing yourself from a bad situation. Right. You can learn all you want, and maybe that's the middle ground you need before you get ready to make the tough decision, mm-hmm. but it's not you're not going to, like what you just talked about, like I'm happy now, I'm healed, I'm in good place. That doesn't happen because you stay in that situation for years and years and years. No, I would just be stuck in denial too, you know, for way too long. This, these are, this is a serious situation Big time. that I feel like is not addressed enough in, in the culture, in our world. Like addiction and alcoholism is serious to everybody involved you your children the person using your grandchildren further on down like it's not something to be taken lightly like we have to look at reality and the big picture and how it is affecting us yes so can we get into it yeah let's get into it all right so i'm going to talk about the common feelings that we may have when we are in these relationships and matt is going to explain why we feel this way and what you did in the past on how I felt this way. Yeah. Like set the stage. This is what many people will come to us and describe their feelings as. Yes. This is, this is how I feel right now. Yes. And this is how I, I, I was here. I know exactly. Mm -hmm. We're, we know what this is. We know what it's about. So the first feeling is a low self-esteem. Yeah. You want me to keep going? Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to. Okay. Um, unable to set boundaries. Or maybe find it difficult to set, set boundaries. You can't figure out what your values are. It's hard to stand your ground. It's really hard to make decisions within your life. You get easily sucked in. You stick to the highs and you let go of the lows, which normalizes the toxicity or it minimizes the reality, mm-hmm. which is a cognitive distortion that many of us have. We minimize the reality. Um, isolating ourselves because no one understands us or our partners don't want us to be around anybody because, you know, we might share the dirty secret or talk bad about them. Um, you may have anxiety, depression, panic disorder, um, 
or you may want to please your partner because you're afraid of backlash. So it's really hard to stand up for yourself. Or when you do stand up for yourself, you're going to get beat down emotionally. So I have an explanation for each and every one of these. Okay. And it's not what you might think. Right. I think that people like people don't really have a hard time taking responsibility for spouses and partners don't anyway, in my experience, have no problem taking responsibility for their role in their own suffering. Yeah. I, they don't. I, I, when I went to therapy, when I was going for like a long time, I went in there multiple times saying, can you please just tell me what I'm doing wrong so that I can fix this situation? Yes. Can you please tell me that I'm crazy so that I know what to work on? My part was very small. She specifically said, you're not crazy. And I was like, I just want you to tell me I am so that I can take (laughs) accountability and fix it. Like it was almost more difficult for her to say, this is why you're feeling the way you feel and it's okay. And you're not crazy for it. And it's not, yeah, I had cognitive distortions, which is what happens in these relationships. And we dig into that deep into the course too. So anyway, I got off track, but I just wanted to throw that out there. No, I think you make an incredibly important point there is spouses. I've never met a spouse, or partner that wasn't willing to walk to the end of the earth. If it meant that it was going to fix their problems. Mm-hmm. The issue is, is that these aren't necessarily your problems and you didn't cause these problems, right? These are symptoms of abuse. Mm-hmm. These are symptoms of trauma. Mm-hmm. This is what happens when you're in a relationship with an a-hole like me. Oh. for years and years and years and years or yeah. the way I used to be. Right. Things have changed now, but it's totally took, different person. It took a lot to get there, but okay. You have a low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Why could that be? Is that because you just came to the relationship with a low self-esteem? And Some is, it of us poss- do. is it possible that every single spouse that we hear from has that same? No, it's no, uh, what's I, the more likely situation that has caused this. It's because an abusive person has led you to this place. Right. And now I never did any of this stuff, but this breaks my heart to hear. I've, I, I never once commented on your weight Mm-mm. or your appearance or anything else, but I've heard this crap from people mm-hmm. where you've let yourself go. Uh, your, your acne's out of control mm-hmm. or, uh, your, your skin's messed up or you don't look the or way you used to. you don't dress up yeah. like you should. Yeah. You've, you're not the woman I married, like all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I hear this come out of addicts mouths a lot. Yeah. What kind of effect do you think that has on somebody? Someone who's who's trusting you, who's living in your home, who, who said, I do with you, who had children with you, that will hurt your self-esteem. Yes. You didn't come stock with that. No. And many people that we work with, whenever I speak with them, one of the main questions I ask is who were you? When was the last time you felt like you could stand your ground? When was the last time you felt like you were on top of the world? When was the last time you had a high self-esteem? Most of the time it was before they were in these relationships and they knew who they stood for. And it just went downhill really fast. Now, there are a number of us who have been in relationships for a very long time who may not remember when they were, you know, where their self-esteem was super high because we could have gotten together when we were really young. You know, things had shifted. Our brains were still changing and things like that. So there are different circumstances when it comes to that. Some of the other ones that you mentioned, like I have trouble setting boundaries. Yeah. Is that because you're not an assertive person or is that because, because that's not the case with you. I know. Or is that because every time you try, it's like world war three mm-hmm. and I make life impossible. Right. I, I fight. I, I treat, I mean, I act like a four year old mm-hmm. who's just been told, no, they can't have candy at midnight. Yep. 
Like that's why you have trouble setting boundaries. You can't figure out what your values are. Well, oh, okay. Well, why well, could also, that be? Whenever you're trying to set boundaries and you come at us and say, well, you're controlling, this is not right. That's not okay. It's like, then we start questioning ourselves, you know, and well, am I being controlling? Is this wrong? Where am I? I don't, I'm, I'm really questioning myself because this is the person that I married and this is the person that I love. And this is the person I'm supposed to trust. But when they're telling me that I'm being controlling, when I'm setting my boundaries, we start to question ourselves. So let me, let me blow the lid off of this BS that I hear from a lot of guys. When their wife comes to them or their girlfriend comes to them and they say, you need to drink less. They're not saying it to be controlling. No. They're saying it because the things that you do and the things that you say when you're drinking, the type of person that you are, the type of things that you say, like the abusive behaviors that result as because of this drinking, mm -hmm. it makes the behaviors that are already there a lot worse. Yes. They're not saying it because they're bored and they felt like messing with you. So right. they, I'm just going to tell them to stop drinking today. I feel like being controlling. Yeah. No. Being controlling would be like, let's say that we had a really healthy marriage. Everything was great. Uh, we, we had an equal partnership where I helped around the home. Um, we both work like we, we carry our weight. We support one another. Uh, we validate each other's feelings, but I've got this toxic trait where I keep my truck really gross. Mm -hmm. Like old seven 11 cups, like gum stuck everywhere. Like you get in my truck and you're like, this is disgusting. Okay, if you're going to die on the hill of I'm going to divorce you unless you start cleaning your truck, yeah. I would argue that could be a little controlling. Like right. You you pick your battles, right. right? Right. This guy's got a weird habit about keeping a dirty vehicle. It's not my vehicle. He has to live in it. It's your problem, pal. Yeah. That Okay, that might be controlling. Yeah. But the drinking thing affects everyone around right. you. To say that you're trying to control me, this is who I am. Mm. Just, just let me be the way I am. That is the that's ridiculous. That is that is the essence of gaslighting. Yes. That is the essence of applying applying logic to a situation that is not equal. Yeah, it's it's it would be correct if you were talking about something minuscule and small and it wasn't harming anybody else. Mm -hmm. It's totally different when we're talking about your drinking or drug use. Right. Way different. Right. And also sometimes when we do try to set boundaries, the other partner will say something along the lines of like, okay, yeah, I'll do better. I'll do better. So it's all words, right? But there's never a follow up on the action. But we get that hit of like, oh, dang, maybe they'll actually listen this time. Maybe they'll actually listen this time. But they still don't uh, uh, respect our boundaries. Yeah. That's why it's hard to set boundaries. It's yeah. not because you're a, not an assertive person. Um, but another like one of the, the, the essence and like the foundation of boundaries are your values. Mm -hmm. So why can't you figure out what your values are? Is it because you're a weak willed person? No, we, we come into relationships for the most part, knowing what we are, what we believe in, what our values are. Those are instilled in us with our families when we're young, before we ever come into these relationships, yeah. we have our own ideas of what right and wrong are to us, mm -hmm. but you have to bend them repeatedly and break them at times to make the relationship work mm -hmm. because I am overbearing because I am abusive because I am controlling and I'm going to get my way, right. which if I get my way, it's a zero sum game. That means you can't get yours. Yeah. So over time you break your boundaries enough. I mean, you break your values, values enough. Yeah. 
you forget who you are. Yes, but they're always there. I need people to understand your values are still they haven't gone anywhere. There somewhere they really are. Like I, I know that I've always had strong values, but it had been difficult to assert them because of this, because of the backlash that would come, or you would talk me into something different. Like, oh, well, that doesn't apply to us. We can, you know, we don't need to worry about that. Or you would minimize a lot of things, um, and that would make me question a lot of stuff because you were my partner, and I wanted us to kind of get on the same page, not be exactly alike, but be on the same page when it came to values. Yeah, man. Most addicts just need to go get a law degree. Like the way that oh we can, the way gosh. we can spin crap and make it apply to something that's irrelevant. You wanted to be a lawyer. <laughs> my mother grow, growing up told me like you should be a lawyer. And so good. Like addicts. It's terrible. It's are, a terrible trait. Let but you're real. so fucking good at the manipulation game. Yeah, we're great like, at it. It is it blows my mind because I can't wrap my head around it. I've never been able to understand how much energy it took to do that kind of stuff. To especially somebody you love. Like holy crap. Yeah. Some of those other ones you talked about, like common feelings you might have, it's it's hard to stand your ground. You feel like it's hard to stand your ground. Mm-hmm. That's because every time you try to you open your mouth, you know that you're going to have to go to battle over it. Yeah. And it get, it's almost like with the, like when you've got little kids uh, and you're an overwhelmed parent mm-hmm. and your kid brings you the granola bar for the 15th time that day and you're just done. Yeah. You're like, just eat the damn granola bar. I'm <laughs> over it. Yeah. So it becomes hard to stand your ground because you're sick of the fights. Yep. You're sick of the fights. You're sick of battling tooth and nail for everything. It's like being with a child, like you said. It is. And you have difficulty making decisions. Well, why could that be? Is that because that you have a character defect where you're just not assertive and you don't know how to make decisions? Or could it be that I don't allow you to make them because of my controlling nature? Mm -hmm. Because I'm going to get what I want. Yes. Because I run this biatch. Yep. That's That's the attitude of the addict. Yeah. We dominate everything and everyone around us to get what we want yes. ultimately. Yes. So it, we, you, it's a one-sided relationship yeah. and we create it this way. We design it this way. We, and we're very trusting people when we come into these relationships. Most of the time, it's like, I, I did not understand addiction or alcoholism way back in the day. Like I didn't understand it at all. And I was just super trusting with you and your behaviors and stuff. I was like, what's going on? It took a long time for me to understand that the behavior was unacceptable, but you were just so good at going back and forth with telling me, I love you so much. Things are great. We're, you know, we're a team and then turning around and lying and manipulating and doing all these weird things that just kind of threw me through a loop. Yeah. I mean, I could spin any story and make it sound positive Mm -hmm. and, and convince you that it's not the way you see it. it. Listen to me and I'm going to tell you how it actually is. Yeah. And I would just spin a web of lies or some facade to make things look better than they actually were. And you would want to trust me. And you had been doubting yourself because I had designed it that way. Mm-hmm. And so you sort of create like this perfect codependent person, but mm-hmm. you create this. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes you don't show up like this. Right. Now we, we will have an episode soon on attachment styles and people who are anxiously attached who are always scared of abandonment Mm -hmm. do have a propensity to bend their values, bend the rules so that they're not abandoned. Right. That doesn't apply to every single person who's in a relationship with an addict. Right. Abuse has repercussions. Yes. And this is some of the result of abuse and trauma over years and years and years. Mm -hmm. So it drives me a bit nuts when people will come to 
us or certain programs or counselors and like you did and say, like, tell me what I need to fix. Like, mm-hmm. whoa, you're doing everything that I would ever suggest someone do. Mm-hmm. But you're living in a very abusive situation. Yeah. And that has effects. Yeah. And like I've said, I like I had parts, obviously, but it wasn't as big as I thought it was because I mean, honestly, you made me to feel like I was crazy for many years. You know, you would tell me that, oh, you just need to deal with it. This isn't a big deal. You're too sensitive and stuff like that. And that will affect a person and start to question their reality and gaslighting. So like I just said about you telling me I'm too sensitive, that's an abusive practice that causes someone to distrust themselves or to believe that they have a problem. Yeah. And the long-term effects of this can be, it can include anxiety, depression, trauma, and low self-esteem. And a lot of us that are in these relationships, there's so much gaslighting that goes along with it. Tons. And gaslighting is a term that's thrown around a lot. Like yes. just, just because, just, someone disagrees, just because with you. someone disagrees with you doesn't mean they're, di- they're, they're gaslighting you. Like, yeah. like, like as an adult, you might have a different opinion about something than someone else does. There's healthy communication. And, and there. just because they are, they are, more for lack of a better term, arguing their side of their perspective does Mm -hmm. not mean that they're gaslighting you. Gaslighting is when you alter someone's reality Mm -hmm. through manipulation tactics Mm -hmm. and it is a form of control or abuse. You have a story on this. I do. I did this a lot, Mm -hmm. gaslighting you. So there was, you weren't really the type that was like tracking me down or seeing my locations or things like that, but you had your suspicions that I was going somewhere I shouldn't that you were lying to me to buy drugs. Yeah. And you were, I was lying to you about it. Right. And technology didn't really allow for this back then, back in like 2010, 2011, whenever mm-hmm. this was getting bad for us, mm-hmm. they didn't have like, uh, what's that new app people use? I don't uh, Life three, 360, something like that. Something I don't like, know. They, they didn't don't, have that back then. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, if, yeah. like iPhones just came out, but, um, we had a toll tag Mm-hmm. And it was on my account. It was on your account. We shared a toll tag with your account. Mm-hmm. So I was driving from our college town, which is like way north of Dallas, like all the way to the south of Dallas, and taking tolls to get there and lying about where I was at. And you mm-hmm. caught me in a lie one time mm-hmm. about being down in the city I wasn't supposed to be in. And there's only one reason I would have been down there. There was mm-hmm. no other reason. Yeah. I was buying drugs. So I was able to get into the toll tag account and after you had called me out on it, I deleted the transaction so that you, so it just didn't show up mm-hmm. and you called me and you said, it's right here. I'm looking at it. And I'm like, I'm not seeing what you're seeing. Refresh the page and you refresh the page and it was gone. So fucked up. It was gone. And then you had to question everything that you had just felt mm-hmm. and all the, like when you, when you, when you do that, you, you're trusting your ability, like Sherlock Holmes to assert, to, um, to draw conclusions based on information that you intake. Yeah. So drawing a conclusion that he said he was here and he's not, that he's on this toll and he's not, or that, that he's on this toll and he said he wasn't, that there's money missing. I can reasonably draw the conclusion that he was buying drugs. Yeah. I just eliminated all that in your mind. I made you question every bit of it now because I've removed the piece of information that led you to believe the following. Mm-hmm. It makes you think you're crazy and you were not. You were 100% dead on the money, Holy but I altered your reality. Now, what does that do to a person? That will fuck you up. So when you show up to a group like Al-Anon or to therapy or something like that, and they're telling you, honey, you're just codependent, I'm going to fight back a little bit and say, no, that's that's not the full story here. We cause a lot of this through our behaviors. Mm-hmm. And what makes TUFO different than a lot of other programs that are out there mm-hmm. is that we're not going to beat around the bush and tell you that you, it's okay to stick around an abusive situation like this. 
because as our clinical architect, Dr. Taylor knows and Mm -hmm. has seen throughout his career and studied is that sticking around in abusive situations for longer than you should is going to have far reaching effects on not only you, but your children and their children and everyone else. So it's kind of fuzzy what the, what Al-Anon tries to accomplish. And, and, And I mean this, and I mean this respectfully as respectfully as I possibly can, because a lot of people find hope, peace, serenity in Al-Anon. They Mm -hmm. find exactly what they're looking for. They find the shared experience of other people that have gone through it and they're able to go there and not feel crazy. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. I'll never take, I'll never take that from anybody. But I think there are also people who are coming in there with this going on where they've got a lot of trauma and abuse and they're essentially told, don't worry about all that. Mm-hmm. No, honey, let's focus on your defects. Yeah. Let's focus on the things that we can control within you. Mm-hmm. Rather than telling them you're in a dangerous situation mm-hmm. and just being real about that. Yeah. 12 Steps were adopted by a lot of movements. Um, Gamblers Anonymous, Sex Addicts Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous. Um, there's Cocaine Addicts Anonymous. There's Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. Like there's an... There's an a 12 step group for basically anything that ails you, any mm-hmm. type of compulsive behavior. Mm-hmm. Al-Anon was always a bit of a strange outlier to me with the exception of overeaters anonymous. Al-Anon is the only one that I'm aware of where your goal is not to remove the thing that is causing you harm from your life. Mm-hmm. Like in, in, um, in AA, ultimately the, okay. The entire purpose of the 12 steps, and this is stated in the chapter, we agnostics, the entire purpose of this book is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself that will solve your problem. Mm -hmm. So through giving, turning our will and our lives over the care of God, as we understand God, we are able to then see clearly that it's our own defects of character that are causing our pain that result in us taking drugs or alcohol to fill the hole. That was true for me. That was absolutely true for me. I don't see how that really applies here, though. Mm -hmm. I don't. And I don't see how if you're there trying to manage a relationship where you've got someone who's incredibly abusive, how that's really beneficial. Mm -hmm. Now, if someone is working in recovery, I think Al-Anon is a great way to strengthen the bond between the two of you Mm -hmm. because they're addressing their things. Mm -hmm. And if they're doing it right and they're listening to this podcast as well, then they're going to take accountability for the real pain they caused. Right. But- how is it benefiting the partner if there's no one working in recovery? Mm-hmm. I think it's a great place to get educated on this is not my fault. I didn't cause this. I need not take some of these things personally. And they will say things like, well, if someone had the flu and they sneezed, like, would you, would you, would you blame them for that? Like they have the flu, they sneeze. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. If an alcoholic is going to be abusive, that's what they do. I would argue I'm not going to be in the room with someone who has the flu. Right. I don't want to catch the flu right. or the symptoms that come with the flu. Right. Why would I choose to be in the room with an alcoholic? Right. Why would I choose to be in a relationship with an alcoholic? And I think that's what makes us different is that we're just going to flat out say that mm-hmm. as opposed to like. Yeah, we do want to empower you to make decisions that are best for you. And we yes. will meet you where you're at. And yes. we understand this isn't a conclusion that you come to overnight. Right. You come to this conclusion when time plus pain equals change. Yeah. When you've been in enough pain for a long enough period of time, and then you hear something like this mm-hmm. and you go, oh crap. And it all comes together and you know what you need to do. Yeah. But ultimately you are not going to be better for it. By sticking around someone that's controlling and abusive. Right. You're not. No, it's it, going to harm you down the road. If you have any of these, you know, feelings that I discussed, like it, it, this is from trauma. This it's from is, trauma. This is from abuse. This is going to affect you down the line. So you have to take it seriously. Yeah. And don't listen to the alcoholic or addict that, that maybe you're in a relationship with that is also going to maybe even in recovery mm-hmm. that tells you you need to get to Al-Anon and focus on your stuff. You need to get to, 
listen, hey, maybe you need to get to therapy. Right. Maybe you get to therapy. Maybe maybe an Al-Anon meeting now and then would help you understand what they're struggling with. Yes. But a podcast like this can do the exact same thing. Yeah. You don't need to work the same 12 steps that they're working necessarily. Right. I think we've done an episode on spirituality and the benefits of that and how like there are quantitative studies that show people are actually happier. Well, I guess it's self-study, but either way, okay, you'd argue the data there, but people are happier with spirituality. And that's what a 12-step group's trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Right. But Turning your will and your life over to the care of God is not going to remove a, tr- a person that's causing trauma and abuse. No, it you is, still have choices. It's, you, it's you, not you, going you, to remove you, that or giving, fix it. Giving all of your problems up to something is, is yeah, you can still put it in their hands, but you still have to do work and know that you have choices. We still have to solve problems. Yeah, and, and like we're not anti-Al-Anon. Like in our group, people often suggest others go to an Al-Anon meeting, check it out. Yeah. And I don't discourage that, but I do ask people to listen carefully and be wary of someone telling you that it's all just you mm-hmm. be wary of someone telling you that it's your I don't know defects. if they say that I've heard the stories yeah I've heard the stories I've I've attended a couple of online Al-Anon meetings yes uh, I've never sat through like a year's worth of meetings before I'm sure there's a lot of great recovery that takes place in there mm-hmm. but I've heard a lot of people and we've had people reach out to us that have said like I was just trying to vent about what's going on about the abuse that I suffered last night and they kept telling me to stop worrying about it. Don't take it personally. Focus on you. Yeah. How yeah. is that going to get you out of an abusive situation that's continuing eye. to cause all these things you just mentioned? Right. How is that going to stop the low self-esteem, sometimes the self-harm, um, the the depression, the anxiety, the panic attacks? If you're still in it, you're still exposed to it. Yeah. And if someone's not working a recovery program, you're not accomplishing much of anything. Mm-hmm. In 12 steps, like I said, we're trying to remove the thing that's causing us harm from our lives. Right. Al-Anon never comes out and says that. They don't ever just say, we're trying to we're, we're trying to enable you to become empowered enough to leave a bad situation. Mm-hmm. They don't. I, don't th- I, think, I think a lot of people show up there and that's not what they're looking for either. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know how many addicts and alcoholics I know that have come to 12-step meetings and they, 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 they their goal was, I'm here to learn how to manage my drinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like... That's not what we do here. Yeah. That's not what we do. We don't teach you how to have two drinks. Right. We teach you how not to drink and how to be happy without it. In Al-Anon, I think sometimes people get the idea that they're trying to teach you how to have a good relationship when you don't have a good relationship. And you can gaslight yourself into that place. And I've seen that happen too. And it's just as damaging as being around it. Yeah. It's tricky. Right. Rant over. Sorry. That was good. Why do you apologize? Because <laughs> you're giving me a look like you need to shut up now. No. <laughs> You just went on and on. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Just a word about 12-step programs. That's all. Yeah. And hey, full disclosure, 12 steps saved my life. I, I see the benefit of them, but I understand it from a, a big picture too. And applying right. it to this, I, did, I, just I could know, see how it could be bad. Just for me, it's not, it wasn't a part of my story. It wasn't a part of our story. So that's not something that I push on people. You know, I think that it's it's more of therapy-based things that you need to go through in order to actually address what's going on and yeah. and be with professionals, which our course has professionals involved. Yeah. And it is, it has a lot of um, this in it. Yeah. Like if you're asking me what I think is better for your recovery, Al-Anon or our course, I would say our course. Yeah. Um, that's my perspective on it, being around 12 steps for a long time and understanding the pitfalls of those types of groups when it comes to this issue. Mm-hmm. I think that we, we cut through that. Yes, we address a lot of the the issues that need to be addressed and how serious this truly is. Yeah. It's not as simple as just, you know, turning a blind eye. No, it's not. And working on you. Right. 
It's not that simple. No. Uh, what else we got? I don't, I think that's it. When it, when it comes to gaslighting, um, I had another story about this. Uh huh. So I was an opiate addict and it's funny. Someone actually questioned me about this the other day because they didn't believe me. <laughs> yeah. At, at my very worst, I was taking between 50 or 60 pills per day. Yeah. Um, your tolerance can get to a point. I didn't after, believe it either. Whomever said that, just so you know, a, after a decade of use, my tolerance got to the point where it, it took between 15 or 20 pills for me just to get a little bit of a buzz. And I would take them all at the same time. I mean, I did not one big swallow, but I would put like five to eight in my hand, swallow five to eight in my hand and swallow. And I would do this like on the way to work. I was doing this multiple times per day. And at one point I'd gone through a bottle of 180 pills in three days. Mm -hmm. And that's where my tolerance had gotten. It was bad, bad. And I was getting sick because all the Tylenol that's in that stuff, my liver numbers weren't outstanding when I got out Mm -hmm. uh, or got into treatment. They did my first, you know, looked at my blood and all that. But anyway, you had to go get your heart checked too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause of the, cause of the, the uppers, yeah. cause of the Adderall. Yeah. yeah. I had uh, like a AFib type deal. Like mm-hmm. a, it wasn't beating correctly. It corrected itself. Thank God. But the heart's not like the liver when you damage it, it doesn't like just grow back. Yeah. Yeah. Liver's incredibly resilient. Yeah. And unless you push to the point where it just can't recover, mm-hmm. it, it will recover. And it's amazing. And I've got a healthy liver. I had blood work today actually, and it's perfect. And it, I'm just, beyond grateful that I didn't kill myself. Yeah. It's insane. But anyway, taking 60 pills a day is like a logistical nightmare, having to acquire that many. And the kicker of it all is that I had to appear normal to you. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is that Paige was responsible for distributing my pills for me Mm -hmm. because I did have an actual injury. I broke my back and it hurt and I was given pills and she had known that I was struggling with them a little bit, but you were sort of in denial, sort of naive about it. Yeah. So I would give you the pills and be like, I don't want to get hooked on these. (laughs) Here I am taking 30, 40 a day and you didn't know it. I don't want to get hooked on these. I was, I was, it was a performance. Mm -hmm. This was a performance and addicts will do this. Yes. And also you normalized taking pills since we were 16 or 17 years old. Oh yeah. You have an ailment, take a pill. I did not look at the red flags. Take a pill. So just Just saying it was like, I was, this was, this was me minimizing things and not looking at reality. Yeah. Like pain was not part of life. Like this is just, you have a problem, take a pill. Yeah. I was taught that way when I was growing up. And that was such a red flag for me when I first met you. Yeah. But you were so good again. So sweet. Anyway, so what do we do? (laughs) All right. So I would give her my pills and then I would have them distribute. I would have her distribute them to me. So she would give me like two or three, like whatever the prescription called for. And let's say that over the course of a couple days, she would have given me nine pills, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Now I'm still buying them from dealers and stuff like that, but let's say I got too lazy or ran out of funds and I didn't want to go to the dealer to, to, to get my supply. I could keep taking on the side because I was taking the ones you gave me and then my own that you didn't know about. Yeah. I would go and raid the pill cabinet and I would take 30 or 40 pills and there would be a huge chunk of this bottle missing and pills aren't like a liquor bottle. I can't pour Coca-Cola in there, water and make it look like there's pills in there. Did you do that too? Uh, Probably. I don't remember exactly, but I'm sure. I'm sure. I know I did it when I was a teenager at home because going to my parents' liquor cabinet. With you, I'm not so sure. I would just buy more bottles and just replace them. You never knew. Right. It looked like the bottle was the same all the time. Yeah. Anyway, I I would have to go find someone in my network of dealers that had that particular pill, that particular color by that particular manufacturer. And I would buy them to replace the pills that you had given me good so that at no point could you ever suspect i think he's acting funny i think he's taking more of these than he should because if you were to count them guess what there'd be a perfect number in there perfect number 
making never, you question your reality. I never counted them. But. I caused this though. Yeah. This, this wasn't something you created on your own. No. You were judging reality correctly. I was manipulating it in an abusive way to make you question your reality so that you would question yourself and stop questioning me. That's yeah, the goal of gaslighting. Damage, man. And that's what I did. And that's what I did. That's what we do. That's what guys like me did and do. Still, many still do this for years and years and years. And that has effects on people. Mm-hmm. So when you have a conversation like, how did I get where I am? And people want to just automatically go to you and focus on you. I'm like, I get defensive. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hold on, time out. Y'all back up. Mm-hmm. I caused a lot of this. Leave her alone. Leave her out of this for a moment. Sure, you had stuff you needed to work on. Who doesn't? Yeah. But are these things that were crit- like mission critical? Are these mm-hmm. things that really, really affected your day-to-day life or our relationship? No. Mm-mm. You might have been a little needy. Everyone's got some abandonment issues to some degree. To some degree. It wasn't excessive or extreme. But and a lot of times you're led to believe that these things are more important than the fact that you're in a relationship with an abusive, controlling person that yeah. manipulates your reality. That's more damaging than any bit of, I think, codependency that you walk into a room with. Yeah. I do. I, I don't I don't think it helps. I think it's a perfect storm and recipe for a really bad situation. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like you posted a video recently on intimacy mm-hmm. on TikTok. Yeah. The the stuff that came back. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Men should be embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. Like the stuff that came back from men. Yeah. It, what was the basis of the video again? Um, it was just how we need our emotional needs met before we can give um, ourselves physically to somebody. You were stating what I believe to be a fact about relationships mm-hmm. for most people. Yeah. Is that physical intimacy is a result of emotional intimacy. Trust it is a byproduct of yeah, feeling in, safe. In being able to be vulnerable communicate in a healthy way and feel safe with somebody. Yeah. Physical attraction plays. Yeah. Into we're this having as well. a whole series on this. We are, soon. but you explain this very clearly and very plainly. And yeah. what we got back from addict men that are still in it was that maybe if you gave him more sex, the relationship would be better and he would get he sober. He would get sober. Like that is pure manipulation. You're yeah. telling me that being in a relationship with someone who thinks that way doesn't have anything to do with the reason that I am here. Mm-hmm. You're you're out of your mind. Right. It absolutely does. Mm-hmm. So many people echoed that too. Yeah, it was crazy. I was like, like people are really like this, and that they will are. take its toll on people. And it breaks my heart to think that there's there's someone on the other side of that yeah, person. Me too. That's actually in a relationship with them. Me too. Like the damage that you were doing to your partner is is so harmful. You think that addicts get off the hook too easy? I do. It's okay. I can say that, but people attack you for saying that. Yeah, that's fine. That pisses me off a bit too. Yeah. Because who has better evidence to show in their life than you? Right. Why should I have to say it? Just because I am one? Mm-hmm. So then I'm immune to the scrutiny or the, uh, you know, the, the critical comments that come back because I am one? Mm-hmm. What about those that have been affected by it? Why can't they speak up? Right. That doesn't seem right to me. Not at all. Oh yeah, I got a lot of shit too about playing the victim card or whatnot or saying someone was like, oh, me, me, me. How dare you, you know, talk about you and, you know, do you know what addicts go through? And it's like, wow, you're the reason why people like us don't speak up. 
Yeah, I, I get that a lot from people that the journey of an addict is much more difficult than the journey of the family member. Yes, and, I don't, and I've heard the opposite. I don't feel like it's my place to say. I know what no. my experience is like. I don't know what it's like to be in your skin. Right, but we've spoken with many addicts or alcoholics who have said that they've done both. They've been they've an addict been and an they've addict loved one. And they loved one. And, and they, they said, said loving one's harder. way more difficult to love one, someone. Because you're living in reality, you know? You're living in reality. You're seeing things and you're feeling things and you're like, God, just something is wrong here. But the other person is living in denial. They're, they're not emotionally, you know, capable of living in reality. So it's hard. Do you still feel like a victim? No. How do you, I'm just asking how, how did you get from victim to where you are today? And how long did that process take? Well, that will be our next episode. Okay. Cause it's going to go deep into, you know, what I did to get out of that victim mentality, even though I've never really looked at myself as that. I never, I didn't, I don't really, I mean, do you think you're looking at me funny? No, I'm trying to think. I don't remember you ever feeling like a uh, woe is me, poor me, anything like that. No, I'm just speaking my truth and what happened. And I need other people to understand that this is what really happens in these relationships, but it is our responsibility to, um, heal from it. Yeah. Something we talked about like Alan on the 12 steps and why I think it's a bit of a strange course of action for someone in this situation, Mm -hmm. because you do like whenever you do your fourth step, you're doing a searching and fearless as we call it Mm -hmm. moral inventory. Mm -hmm. So you, you run through a few inventories. One of them is a fears inventory. Mm -hmm. One of them is a resentments inventory. One of them is a sex inventory. And the other one that I I have my guys do is a harms done to others. Mm -hmm. And we go through these. And so let's say you have a resentment against somebody. This is where I think it's applicable for an alcoholic, but not so much for someone like you, okay. so, uh, someone who's in a relationship with a guy like me. Uh-huh. A guy like me would say, I'm mad at my boss. And I would say, okay, so what's what what was affected in you from your boss firing you? Or let, let, let's say that your boss fired you in front of everybody. What was affected? Well, my ego was hurt. Um, my pocketbook was hurt, obviously affected my finances. It affected my self-esteem. It affected my love life because I tie my, my worthiness as a human to my ability to earn. So it affected my relationships and you, you list all the things that it affected. Okay. These are, these are precursors to identifying our character defects. These are the things that I let the outside world affect. Okay. So uh, there's a column in this inventory And it's, what was my part in this? This is where it gets important. This is where the distinction I think ought to be made. Mm -hmm. My part in this is that I, I cheated on my expense report on a regular basis. I would often call into work when I was hungover, not actually sick. I would lie about where I was. I would pass off work that I was supposed to be doing to other people because I was at bars or hanging out or just didn't give too much of a damn about my job. Um, I would question authority and I would, I was a bad employee. So that's my part in this. Then go look at the beginning. Okay. So did I have a part in getting fired in front of everybody? I absolutely did. Yeah. This helps alleviate the resentment and the anger that an alcoholic often has irrationally. Mm-hmm. It's irrational and unjustifiable in right. many cases. Right. Anger or resentment. Yes. Now, there are some, like I always say you have a part in it. I don't care if it's 1%, you still have a part in it. 
And I agree with that in general, but your part in it, that's 1% is not the same as what we just discussed. Mm-hmm. Let's cause I, so I, I worked with the guy that he was, he was sexually abused at a very young age. He was a child. Yeah. He had no part in this. Mm-hmm. He did not put himself in a situation or lead anybody on. However disgusting that sounds even to, to make a, a grown adult abuse him. Mm-hmm. It was not his fault, Right. but he was 50 years old. And that moment defined him as an adult. And he allowed that to be the reason and the justification for the way he was, which was an alcoholic, an addict, unwilling to look at anything else in his life other than this moment that defined him. And he refused to get therapy for it, deal with any of it. So I said, okay, so while you don't have a part in what caused that, you have a part in the fact that you are letting this define you to this day. This mm-hmm. is this is who you choose to be at this point rather than doing the work to begin to heal from this. Yeah. So he didn't have a, a real part in that. I feel like when a when a spouse or partner comes into the inventory piece, mm-hmm. you're gonna get much more of that mm-hmm. than you are things that you caused in me. Because I'm telling you straight up, you can't cause me to drink. No. I hear that crap all the time, but you can't cause me to drink. Right. Do you feel that way? Do you think that you can cause me to drink? No, I can't make you do shit. <laughs> if I couldn't make you stop or do, then why would I make you be able or make you do it? Like I just, it's no. I mean, you said I'm, I was crazy back in the day and I've, I have my shit. Would that have caused you to do drugs and drink? No, none of that. None of that. We were teenagers though. <laughs> and find me a teenage relationship that isn't a bit on the needy side. Yeah. But yeah, I, when you're working in inventory in like a 12 step program, like this is the kind of stuff we're looking at. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, okay, like sex inventory, I don't want to get into that. We'll talk about that in February when we get into our intimacy subjects. But it, it was always just a bit odd to me um, mm-hmm. that I caused, like, I stepped on the toes of people all around me and I caused most of my misery, if not all of my misery. Yeah. How did you cause the actions within me? And like, you can, can, you can try to tell yourself that you caused me to do all these things, but I'm telling you right now, it's not true. Right. I was going to do what I wanted to do. Right. Until I got enough pain, I wasn't willing to change. Right. And it wasn't until I was able to remove the substance from my body, was I able to even acknowledge the things that I had done. Yep. I had to get rid of it first. Yeah. So I think much for the spouses, it's going to be a matter of just like social learning theory, which is the basis of our course. It's based in social learning theory. If you get out of your environment, it becomes much easier to heal. Mm-hmm. It becomes much simpler to see the path forward yes. as opposed to being still stuck in it. Right. This is why when people get out of treatment and they go back to their same exact environment, what often happens? They, go they relapse. Mm-hmm. And then what do we say? Relapse is part of recovery. Mm-hmm. We can't hold them accountable for one second and say, well, what did they do different? Yeah. Did you go to sober living? Did you go to an IOP program? Did you go to a meeting every single night? Did you change your way home? Did you did you change your environment? Right. Or did you expect your environment to deliver something new out of the same old tale? It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry. I'm just rambling now. No, you're good. You've got some good shit to say. It's nice. <laughs> okay. Hang on. So, so back to this though, like the entire point of the episode is how I lost myself and my husband's addiction. Yeah. I think many people think that they've lost themselves because they became controlling and they became because they allowed yes they allowed the alcohol to control them that's that's where they feel they lost themselves but it's a lot deeper than that yeah it's a lot deeper than that there's there's a reason why we are controlling in these relationships we are trying to protect ourselves it's not trying to change the person it's like i married this person i want somebody to be at the you know same level as me it's not that 
bad of a thing to ask. Can you please step up your game a little bit? And then the partner comes back and says, well, you just don't, you know, you just, you're just trying to change me. You don't accept me for who I am. And that makes me want to throw things. Yeah. You want to throw a chair? <laughs> it does. It does. Because I'm like, if you're in a marriage where it's just one-sided and you just need to be quiet and not challenge it, like you challenge me all the time too. Like we challenge each other. I think the best marriages are those in which people understand that they are unfinished products. Yes. And they trust the other person to challenge them to move on to that next level. Yep. That's what love is. Mm-hmm. It's it's the ultimate form of trust. Like mm-hmm. I'm trusting you with me. Yeah. Like in who I am. And I trust your vision of me in so many ways. You make me want to be better. Right. You make me want to be better. So when you challenge me, I trust that that's the thing I need to do. Mm-hmm. Now I might, I might, I might bitch about it a little bit. Yeah. I, I might fight a little bit at Same. times. But I know in the back of my mind it's the best thing for me. Yeah. If you're saying in a relationship that you're not allowed to challenge me, just like dust your hands off. All right, we're done here. Yeah. What else are we, what are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah. You're you're not perfect. Are you saying that you're perfect? I married a perfect finished product. I don't think so, dude. No. No one is. Right. That's narcissism 101. Is it not? Right. If someone's saying that they're perfect and I'm not going to change. And if you try to change me, like they'll flip that around on you and call you the narcissist. Oh yeah. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. I've heard that too. I've heard the alcoholic call the spouse, the narcissist. Yes. It's hilarious to me. Yes. We are, we are uh, like like those greaseball attorneys that like the ambulance chasers, mm-hmm. that's what alcoholics and addicts are. Yeah. We will turn things around and flip the innocent on their head, mm-hmm. make them think that they're at fault. Mm-hmm. And they're not. Yep. They're and not. That, that will make us lose ourselves. It really, really will. That's what makes you lose yourself. But I want you to know that you can get something from this. You can become a super badass, like and and really thrive. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Okay. And we're going to talk about that on the next episode. Yeah. The next one is, okay, we just talked about this. What we've essentially done, I think here, what Paige, you've done an amazing job of doing is alleviating people of the responsibility, overbearing responsibility that this is all on them. Yes. yes. And it's not. And I'm here as the addict taking responsibility saying, hello. Right. You guys are talking about all your stuff and that's, that's fine and well, but I'm responsible for a great deal of this. Right. I'm responsible for a great deal of mm-hmm. this. And I think that that's why therapy and I think that professional help is so important to the recovery. Right. And yeah, the steps have a place. Don't get me wrong. Yes. Spirituality has a massive place in my life. Mm-hmm. But um, there are not trauma therapists in there working through the steps. Right. You know, they're not specialized in working you through those things. Yeah. And the helping you see the reality of what abuse does to somebody. That right there. That's a little bit different. It's a little bit beyond the expertise of the 12 steps. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Well, I think that's all we've got. Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, until next time, I am Matt. I'm Paige. And we'll see you. Bye.